0: The title for the discussion this hour is why are our masajid in lockdown why are our masajid in lockdown this is a simulcast Uh, it's coming to you live on radio islam international channel islam international salam media radio lansar voice of the cape as well as ifm in port elizabeth now we know that the country has been in lockdown for two weeks and this has affected all south africans and all faith-based communities There has been specific focus within the Muslim community on restrictions pertaining to congregational salah in the masjid We know that, uh, the masjid plays a pivotal role in the daily routine of uh, of muslims major ulama formations uh, took their decisions and issued guidelines to their communities in regards to congregational prayers in the masajid pre the lockdown as well as post the lockdown now subsequent to that there has been uh, much discussion on this issue of what some call the closure of the masajid and others call the suspension of congregational prayer within the masajid. It is for that reason that the United Ulama Council of South Africa, which is an umbrella body of the major ulama formations within our country across many ideological uh, divides that they have put together this uh, panel discussion for the next hour Uh, that as i said is brought to you live on on the various radio stations uh, that i have listed now the panelists for the discussion this morning are Molana ibrahim bam the secretary general of jamiatul ulama south africa based in johannesburg we have mollana taha karan who's the head mufti of the muslim judicial council of south africa and he speaks to us from uh, cape town Morning, and then we've got uh, Dr. Zamir Bray, who's the chairperson of the board at the uh, Khrotiskir Hospital. Let's welcome uh, our panelists uh, this morning. Maan Ibrahim Baam, Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh, and welcome.
1: Wa
0: Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh, and Assalamu Alaikum to all the listeners. Maan wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh, ahlan, welcome. Wa Alaikumus wa
2: Rahmatullahi
0: wa Barakatuh. And Dr. Zamir Bray, Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh, welcome.
2: <Sans>
0: right, why if I can start uh, with you? Uh, the question that has come up uh, in, in some circles and had, has been spoken about uh, on social media platforms is with regards to the decision taken by JUSA, the jamit in of South Africa, on the 22nd of March, where it called for the suspension of congregational prayer in the Masajid and, and the limiting of uh, the number of Musallis to only five. Now the question that has been asked is that this took place on the 22nd of March at the time when government had not called for a lockdown yet. At the time when government was permitting uh, up to a hundred people for for congregation in public, why did Jusa take that decision at the time, even before government had uh, had insisted on on such measures?
1: Well, exactly for the opportunity. Firstly, uh, I would like to start off the program by you know this whole particular uh, type of. impression that is created that ulama or specific ulama or specific ulama organizations are those who are calling for the closure of the masjid and as such they are in a particular way they are branded and of course it just brings up to a, a aspect that um, what will be the situation firstly who has called for the closure of the masjid and what will be the position of almost The majority of the ulama throughout the world in places where the virus um, is rampant or there is signs with regard to being present, what would be the condition with regard to the ulama who have made similar calls? So would Darul Ulum Dioban, which is regarded to be the alma mater of many ulama who have called for people to respect the lockdown in India, would they be equivalent to calling people to stay away from the masjid? Would they be amongst those who say that uh, you must not go to the masjid, and as such, they don't have love for the masjid? Would the entire consensus of the UK ulama, who met recently in the north of England, and of course they were very it was a very robust debate. I am privy to many of the people who had participated in that uh, in that mashwara and they came up with the conclusion that. Yes, this is the right thing to do, call for the closure of the masjid. So when people call for the closure of a masjid for a particular reason, what is the situation? Are they people who are against the masjid, or they're calling for a particular reason? Now, when we look at what actually is the situation, the classical fuqaha have clearly, in certain situations, suspended uh, Jama'at in coming to the masjid. It's a well-known fact that in the time of torrential rain and downpour, Hmm. the in Nabi Karim wasalam, so, and that is where we got this, go and read your salat in the masjid, in, in at home. And now would that, because of a particular reason calling people to read your salat at home, would it be equivalent to calling for the closure of the masjid? Or would it be something that you have done because of the circumstances? And there's no doubt whatsoever that this was because of circumstances, because of the virus uh, being a situation of spreading and because of it being the cause of the loss of the limb limb, or the loss of life. And the ulama have made mention and maybe I can just steal a quotation from Mawlana Taha who when he called for and when the MJC called for the suspension of the Jama'at, they mentioned with regard to Imam Nawawi Ali, saying where there's a fear of life and the fear of a loss of limb, then these are situations that can call upon people or the ulama or the responsible people to call for a suspension of people coming to the masjid. Mm -hmm. And of course, there are many other reasons as I will go along making mention what was the reasons and what were the wisdom in us making mention with regard to it.
0: If I can bring you in at this juncture. Some have argued that why should uh, congregational prayer in the Masajid be suspended when uh, people are not restricted in as far as the taxi ranks are concerned, where shopping centres and, and shops where, where, where essential items are purchased, don't practice social distancing. There, there seems to be laxity from the side of government. There seems to be concession from the side of government when it comes to uh, taxi ranks, when it comes to, to shops and that kind of thing. Uh, these people argue that um, the masjid is also an essential service. It caters for an essential uh, spiritual need. There's a greater need to be in the masajid uh, at the time of crisis. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on, on such a perspective?
1: <laughs> um, this argument is very really commonly heard. And uh, it's understandable to raise arises from. Uh, it is rooted in an idea that says that everyone should be treated equally,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and if the masjid are going to be closed down, why not the others as well? Uh, I want to take the discussion somewhere else, however, related to the root of the problem. The root of the problem is, in what spirit did we take the steps that we have taken. And this Let us on probably to uh, the question which you asked on Obama before this, mm-hmm. uh, why did we call for the closure of the passage? There are two approaches that we can take in this regard here. Yeah. There's the one approach that we can take in terms of our civil rights. We are citizens of the country and we should be treated uh, just as everyone else is treated. And if the supermarkets are going need to be left open, why should we not? Um, I understand this argument. However, what I find, uh, rather, I'm going to be careful in my, uh, my choice of words. Because choice of words here, these days tend to lead to more problems than anything else. Well, I'm going you say it's unappealing, hmm. this kind of reason is unappealing. Why? Because for some reason, I say, it is founded upon uh, the side of ourselves which says that what are our rights. I don't think this is the time in which we should be calling and demanding for our rights. There are two sides of our citizenship of this country here. There are our rights which we have on the one hand and then there are our duties and responsibilities, our social and civic responsibilities on the other. This is a time for us to focus upon our responsibilities towards society, our civic duty towards ourselves and the rest of society, rather than decide where we say these are my rights and I demand my rights at a time such as this. There's a time for everything. There's a time when you join both of these together. There's a time when you focus upon the one to the exclusion of the other. There's a time when you focus upon the other to the exclusion of the first. At this moment in time, we focus upon what are our responsibilities towards society at large. Mm-hmm. And when we look at it from that angle, when we realize that we are not really in need of a government director to tell us to take certain steps. Because we, as citizens of this country, responsible uh, civic, uh, of our civic and, respons- and, and our social duties, responsible in that we are conscious of our duties, should know what to do, even though others are not doing uh, the same thing at the same time. Um, the idea that says, why should we? Go under restriction? Why should we be forced into restrictions when the taxes are not, or when the supermarkets are not? Well, um, I'm going to call that a bit of a petulant argument. That's the petulance of infancy that we see there. The argument that says, why should I do what's right when they are still doing what is wrong? Um, when I use the term right and wrong here, it means that we should already have recognized that at a at time such as this, a certain uh, 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 a, a certain form of behavior is not conducive to society. And a, a certain form of behavior is to the best interest of society. and. As Muslims, first of all, as South African citizens, we should already have made the decision that we're going to adopt the mode of behavior that stretches to the best advantage of society. When we look at it from that perspective, when we look at it from a perspective of our duty towards our society, our duty towards our own children, our duty towards coming generations, our duty towards every other citizen of this country out there, then... The idea of clamoring for our rights uh, and being, uh, you know, wanting to be equal to the taxi which is uh, driving out there, to the supermarket out there, that it into complete insignificance. And we realize that we have a duty towards society. So. Um in a nutshell, that's what it comes down to, attitude towards the problem. Mm. If we see it as a problem, and once we recognize uh, that this problem requires a certain mode of behavior from us, then we won't uh, even bother for a moment thinking of, why should I be treated differently?
0: Dr. Samir, if I can bring you in here from the medical perspective and the medical rationale, right? Uh, I think Moataha mentioned that if you see the need, there are some within our community who argue that, you know, uh, if you look at the numbers even two weeks into lockdown it's less than two thousand people uh, affected more people would have died ordinarily from murder and accidents and, and other kind of of, of uh, uh, events what, what was the medical rationale behind calling uh, for for the suspension of congregational prayers in the masajid the, the closure of the masajid even at the time when government was still allowing congregations of, of up to 100 dr samir
2: you, yeah. um, you know, it, it's actually a, an excellent opportunity um, for the Muslim community to have owned their own act- their actions. And as, as the ulama approached us, uh, there's a team of, of uh, medical doctors and public health specialists and epidemiologists uh, that they have brought into the council as they made this very difficult decision. And you will note, uh, alhamdulillah, that the decisions taken by the ulama, in fact, preceded the decisions taken by government. Um, so much so that it probably helped government to make some of the determinations they needed to make around faith-based organizations. And I think that as the Muslim community of South Africa, we need to see this as a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we need to see this as an opportunity to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Mm-hmm. We know in many countries, there's a long list here, uh, Malaysia, South Korea, etc., where a single faith-based event has been the catalyst for many hundreds and even thousands of people being uh, infected with this disease. Um, and. I I want our brothers and sisters and the listeners to just think for a minute. If you were that person that decided to disobey the lockdown and to make the Jumwa um, in big uh, congregations, think about what if you were part of that and you organized that event that led to other people being infected. And subhanAllah, may Allah protect us, but somebody dies from that event that you arrange. I think the Quranic junctions and the sunnah is very clear on the sacredness of life. Um, in terms of the numbers, brother, we we have heard very clear from the government, who, alhamdulillah, has a good handle on what the modelers and the epidemiologists are saying about this epidemic, which is to not be fooled by the numbers early on in your epidemic. Mm-hmm. And I'll give a very simple example. So alhamdulillah, our rate of increase is not as high as many other countries. But we see okay. countries like Italy, Spain, um, and the United States completely overwhelmed because they did not take this thing seriously enough, or they didn't put the measures in place quickly enough. Um, The rate at which the disease doubles in those countries are every two to three days. So if we decided not to take this lockdown seriously, um, and we decided to continue as was normal, if we were at 2,000 today, I've just done a calculation that within 27 days, one million South Africans will be infected, we know that is a reality. We can choose to do the right thing, and inshallah, we will follow the course of countries like Japan and uh, and Singapore and Hong Kong, who have managed to keep this epidemic at bay. Alhamdulillah, in Japan, even after 30 days, they have only 1,000 cases. So the the choice, um, and this disease for the first time,
3: mm-hmm.
2: is showing us how connected we are as humans. If you choose to eat badly, you get diabetes or high blood pressure. This disease is showing us that if we don't comply with what our ulama has guided us and what the government has asked us to do, that we will threaten the, the, the lives and the livelihood of others around us. And that's how connected we are. So if we decide, we will go out and infect others in the community, and more of the community gets infected. Eventually,
0: uh, we were the knock-on consequence of that is very, very real. Um, yes. All right. So just to three minutes past nine. You are listening to a special simulcast put together by Uksa, the United Ulama Council of South Africa. We are coming to you live on Radio Islam International, Channel Islam International, Saram Media, uh, Radio Al Ansar, as well as Voice of the Cape in Cape Town and IFM in Port Elizabeth. Uh, the topic of discussion: Why are our masajid in lockdown? Our panelists: Moana Ibrahim Baum from Jamitul Ulama South Africa, Taha Karan from um, the MJC, and uh, Dr. Zameer Bray from uh, Khurutskier Hospital. Mu'ab- now, if I can come back to you, uh, if you look at how the discussion has unfolded, especially amongst uh, scholars and within the Muslim community, it, it's about, um, you know, different principles. On one hand, the, the, the principle of, of of doing good. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the principle of, of not doing good with the intent of, um, you know, avoiding greater pro- 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 uh, potential harm. Now, wh- what thoughts do you have in this regard? Because many have been saying that if it's an essential service to to, get, to go and get food to nourish your physical body, it's more of an essential service to go to the masjid to get spiritual nourishment um, for, for, for your soul. Well, a, a short answer to that, would be the entire ulama and all the fuqaha are completely
1: unanimous on this that while you are reading salah, and I've heard many ulama saying this from the members to, to impress upon the sanctity and the importance of human life, while you are reading salah, and while reading salah you see a small child or a blind person rushing headlong without knowing what he's doing into a place where its life or its limb is at risk and it's about to fall in a ditch or is going to fall in front or go in front of a car unknowingly unwittingly but ask any him what's your situation and what is your um, responsibility at that time can you say that listen i need to be physically nourished and i need to be i mean spiritually nourished and uh, the life of a person is not as important as regard to my, in my Salat? Yes, we know Salat is the most important thing in front of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As people who who have studied Deen, we know about that. So what is your responsibility at that time? Everyone would agree that your responsibility at that time is to break your Salat and to go and save that person. So the aspect of, you know, putting this type of simplistic argument sometimes needs to be looked in a broader context. What do you do when there is a, a, a real great danger with regard to the, the virus spreading and you becoming the cause of the loss of life or the loss of limb with, with regard to anyone else? Hmm. Let us also say that uh, we know that uh, and we, we rely upon medical uh, evidence with regard to many things. If we don't rely upon medical evidence, why do the ulama and muftis give a ruling? With regard to someone who has medical reasons not to fast. What do we tell such a person? If the doctors tell you that it is harmful for you to fast for your health, then accept the doctor's recommendation. Why do people when they come to the Majid and they have to sit on the on the floor or on chairs because of their knees, why don't they say, Why should we sit on the floor or on the chair? You know, we can beat on our walls because Namaz is very important. You rely upon medical evidence and medical uh, expertise in this type of situation so why is it that you don't uh, respond to medical expertise and medical advice on such a juncture?
0: there has been an argument from from scholars saying that uh, irrespective of the serious nature of of this virus and its outbreak and and all of what we have mentioned, uh, the closure of masajid or the suspension of congregational prayer in masajid is unprecedented. They claim it never happened in the time of Sahaba, it never happened in the subsequent eras. The ahadith that have been quoted are in specific reference to a plague. This is not a plague, this is a virus, we have to make that distinction. And, And they further opine that even in the instance of the plague, the masajid were not closed per se. People were not able to go to the masajid because of the widespread death and, and um, the serious nature of, of their illness. Uh, therefore, it was not that they were prohibited from congregational prayer by the leaders of the day. They simply could not get to the masajid because of the impact of, of the plague. So this is the kind of, of um, uh, debate that has come forth uh, in, in in scholarly circles, in the circles of ulama. W- w- what's, what's your thought to that?
1: Um, before answering the question, I just want to go back to what Mona Imbam was speaking about. Mm-hmm. The question you asked was on a spiritual nourishment. Yes. And I fully endorse whatever has been said. I want to add to it one more angle. Spiritual nourishment does not simply and only and exclusively take place in the salah, in the congregation of salah and the masjid. In fact, there's more spiritual nourishment to be found in in isolation, in your own home, in uh, wherever you might be on your own, that's what you find in the masjid. So uh, the argument of spiritual nourishment as such, and the idea that we are deprived of spiritual nourishment because of the closure of the masajid for congregational and for Jumu'ah Salah, that argument in itself, uh, you know, should be revised. However, then coming to the idea of things being unprecedented, um, Let's just uh, uh, have a survey of what happened uh, in history with regard to our ummah mm-hmm. and uh, uh, plagues and epidemics. Uh, we have had a number of incidents in the past, number of incidents in the past, and uh, uh, you know, these things are not new. They're not 20, uh, 20, 20 or 21st century phenomena. They've been with mankind since time immemorial. They will remain with us for a long time still to come. So uh, when we go back, let's just quickly do a survey and see what happened in the past. If we have to go back, uh, we can go back uh, as far as when We can I go back right to the time of Sahaba عنهم, Already um, In the 18th year after the Ijira, uh The famous uh, plague of Amawas Took place Amr ibn Asir Took the Sahaba عنهم, And told them to Tajabbalu yeah, you know, go out into the mountain peace, go out into the bottoms of the, the, the valleys where there are no people living. Uh, separate yourself from society, and in that way, inshallah, um, you'll be able to uh, to beat this particular plague which happened. I just want to mention in that regard, hmm. in Muslim ahmad it comes that when Sayyidina uh, Amr ibn al decided this, what had happened before it already, uh, the plague had come, uh, Sayyidina Abu Abayda bin al-Jarrah had been taken away, he, he died in the plague, he left Mu'ala bin as his successor. He passed away He appointed Amr ibn al as his successor. So Amr ibn al came with the idea that let's spread uh, not in the town, let's spread over into the countryside, in the mountains, into the valleys. At that moment, there was another Sahabi. That other Sahabi goes by the name of Abu Wasila al-Hudali. And he very vehemently criticized Amr ibn al for this. And he said to him, And he yes, said to him, I'm also a Sahabi and you are worse of them this the donkey of mine. You don't know what you are doing if telling Allah. told him something very important for us to take note of. He says, ma arudu ma taqul. I'm not going to respond to you right now. This is not the time for bickering and argument. This is what Amrullah is basically saying. And he orders the people spread out and they go out uh, into the countryside. They create effectively what amounts to what we know today, social distancing was in a few days that plague is beaten this news reaches omar ibn khattab and he approves of it um we go on 385 395 i think it is um 395 in tunisia there was a similar plague. now what happened let's see a plague happened, عظيم, a great epidemic took place and then what happened? The, the the outcome of it was The masajid ran empty in the city of Qayrawan. Uh, the masajid ran empty means what? That people were dying to such an extent that at the end of the day, there were barely any people who could come to the masjid any longer. People either died or people were so ill or people were so afraid of what was happening that they couldn't do that, they couldn't even come to the masjid any longer. Uh, we jumped. the year 448. Um, to uh, Cordoba and Seville in Spain. Exactly the same kind of thing happened. Uh, uh, an epidemic strikes, and at the end of the day, uh, yeah, uh, Imam Dahabi mentions to such an extent it stuck to the society that at the end of the day, the masajid would remain closed because they were no musalis to make in them any longer. The very next year in Baghdad, Ibn al-Jawzi mentions in Al-Muntaghan, most masajid could not even make the Jama'a Salah any longer because there was no one to come out. Uh, 853, Ibn Hajar Asqalani mentions, um, a similar kind of thing happens in Egypt that barely anyone could come to the mas- masjid. 848, again, uh, a similar thing, and he says that um, people were dying at the rate of 1,000 uh, 1, people per day, um, and uh, uh, there was barely anyone to come to the masjid. 827, in the city of Bakka, around the Kaaba itself, um, Ibn Hajjah mentioned that, uh, you know, there were four maqams around the Kaaba. The Shafi'i maqam, Hanafi, Maliki, Ammali. He says three of the maqams, the imams were not even coming to the the masjid any longer because they were no musallis. <laughs> the one maqam that was left, the one that maqam Ibrahim, uh, where the Shafi'i imam used to stand, he used to make salah with only two people. But this is the Kaaba. This is uh, in front of the Kaaba, three, three Jama'at completely without uh, 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 Musalli, not even the Imam coming. One Jama'at left on. So, when we look at history, what plagues hmm. and epidemics have done in history, when we ask ourselves now, there are two ways in which you can look at something. We can look at it prospectively, or we can look at it retrospectively. In other words, after the event, we look back and said, wow, look at what this has done now, so many people have died. Or we can look at it prospectively. We in a position right now to see the problem in front of us. We can say here uh, that we can let this exactly uh, the same thing happen. We can let the plague run wild, while we go on what life is normal, uh, only for our historians in 50 and 100 years from now to write that in the city of Johannesburg or in Cape Town or in Durban or wherever it might be a place spark and the masajid ran empty. Not because the ulama or the government or anyone else prohibited them, but because there were no Muslims left to come to the masjid any longer. So, a saidu man wa'idhah mi ghaybi. Nabi sallallahu wa sallam, us that, you know, an intelligent and a fortunate person is he who learns a lesson from someone else. And la yuldahu al-mu'minu min juchrin wahidim marratayn. A mu'min, a believer, does not fall into the same hole twice. So we see what has happened in history. If after so many instances, we still refuse to learn the lesson, mm-hmm. then there's something very, very wrong with us. So we are in a position right now to take measures People will still die, we cannot avoid that. But are we in a position to minimize the number of people dying? And that by calling for a temporary closure a temporary closure of the masajid, whilst we are going on with our jama'ah, salah in our homes, even our ad hoc jum'ahs in our homes, that is the extent of it. In the masjid, the mu'adzim and one or two people are still making salah. That is the extent of what there is right now. But all of these measures together, a, prospect, a prospective approach in which, a, a precautionary approach by which we seek to avoid the problems that have
0: happened yeah. in the past. Well, just for the sake of clarity, I want to ask you a quick follow-up question. You uh, know, in, in, t- in terms of some scholars, they are saying those very examples you have, that you have cited, the masjid ran empty because of the widespread death, but there's no record that the scholars or the leaders of the time actually prohibited the people from coming to the masjid. They actually told them uh, about social distancing in terms of place of residence and that kind of thing, but there's no precedent in our history uh, that would tell us that uh, there was this actual ruling from the scholars or the leaders that the masjid should be temporarily closed or the congregational prayer temporarily suspended, and hence uh, the accusation is that what the scholars have done now here is unprecedented in Islamic history
1: yeah, um, Two answers to that. The first part of the answer is um, what I've already said, that when we know this is going to be an outcome or when we, persuade, we be persuaded by the evidence that this will be the outcome, then we have one of two choices to take. One is we can stick letterly, uh, you know, to the letter of what's contained in the books and say, well, they didn't do it, therefore we will not do it. Yeah. Uh, the other part of it is the other approach is that we say, we know what this outcome is going to be and we know that our sharia holds human life uh, at the, in the uh, esteem, and therefore, we are going to take this particular step here mm-hmm. um, to avoid what's going to happen there. That's one thing. The other side is this here to what extent should we stick to the letter of what is contained or stick to the silence which is not contained within the books? To what extent are we obliged to do that? Mm-hmm. And secondly, when a specific ruling is found in a uh, uh, in a book of fiqh, or in a number of books of it, for that matter, um, You know, to which extent is it binding upon all of us, and to which extent are we bound to see it as the correct and nothing but the correct way? Uh, Let's mention a few examples in this regard. But before I go to those few examples, let's just uh, uh, jump the gun very quickly in between and say that did our fuqaha ever uh, contemplate and and envisage a situation in which Jumu'ah should be suspended, for example? Did they or didn't they? if we look at, for example, in Al Muheet al Burhani, it is quoted, this Hanafi textbook by Ibn Mazah al Hanafi, quite a large book, and he says that Taqi Abu Jafar Hindawani was of the Hanafis who were so uh, uh, erudite that he used to be called the younger Abu Hanif, Abu Hanifa Sahib was his name. And he mentions specifically that when the Imam, when the ruler of the time, prohibits the people from making Jumu'ah. And his prohibition is based upon a very good reason. Then they should not make Jumu'ah. Mm-hmm. So, but the precedent wasn't stated with regard to a specific incident, it was stated in in general. The Shafi'i Fuqah have stated that an excuse for the abandonment of Jumwa or Jama'a can either be harsh, very specific to one person. In other words, that person is suffering from an illness, so he doesn't have to come to the Masjid. neither for Jumwa nor for or And. Uh, on the other hand, they say the holder might be harmed. It affects an entire society. In that case, they said that the entire society do not have to come for Jumu'ah or Jama'ah salah So it is precedented. The principle is there. The principle, but if we're expecting the principle to be spelled out in terms as specific as if you have a corona virus, uh, then you must still come to the Masjid. You're not going to find that. Yeah. you not going to find that. The the, the the precedents are in place anyway. But let's just look at a few other instances in which our fuqaha gave rulings and you know, whatever Abu Fuqa said in the past, Allah, we respect it, but we we acknowledge it to be the efforts of fallible human beings that might or might not be wrong. Mm-hmm. They might be right at times, they might be wrong. You know, I remember, I call to, to, to mind at this moment in time now, Imam uh, Shamsuddin Ramli in Ishtata, there's a statement, uh, a person comes from Aragon in Spain. I want you to understand. And they say, Aragon in Spain, this is the north of Spain. This is in a time when they were already, the northern uh, provinces of Spain were reconquered by the Christians, and Muslims were living under a Christian ruler at the time, but they were living in peace. They were living in safety, and a person comes from there, and he comes for Hajj. And on his way back, he passes through Egypt, and he asks Imam Hamdi, he asks the question that, uh, should I go back to my country, or must I stay here? Staying here means I won't go back there because there's a Christian ruler, and they might just, you know, uh, take steps against us and try next time, exterminate Islam. Imam Hamdi gives him the answer, he says, you cannot stay here, it is wajib, it is incumbent, it's obligatory upon you, you have to go back to your country, you have to history has shown what has happened when the muslims remained in spain by the fatwa of the ulama they remained in spain what happened to them they their children they they, they the descendants of the, all of them were forced into christianity so can they be wrong at times i think with the benefit of hindsight which is the most perfect of sciences when we look back, we can say that Imam Ramli's fatwa was wrong in that particular case. So, I remember my own father, rahimahullah. His copy of Ya'anatul Talibin, his copy of Yaanaatul Talibin, has brightly uh, underlined in red. I, I, I mas'ala there, which is mentioned that, um, and this was you know in the late 60s, early 70s, and so on, when group areas was. Uh, 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 just being implemented and the issue came up that our people were then thrown out of the areas in which they had lived and built a masjid for many many years, they were being thrown out of those areas and put into another ghetto uh, uh, area, one or two kilometers four or yeah. five kilometers away from where they used to live and then there's a fatwa in the kitab that says when you are driven out of your home in that way then Jumu'ah is no longer wajib upon you because this, you, you are not a Mustaupin, you're not a resident in the area you're being forced into that area and your intention is to go back to where you came from once upon a Imagine if they had at that time decided, let's suspend Jumu'ah now, because the Kitab says so. The thick Kitab says we don't have to make Jumu'ah. And then, you know, when 1994 comes, we will go back and make our Jumu'ah once again. And it would have been 20, 30 years of no 'ah. Mm Jumu'ah. But they took the step of saying, what's in the Kitab? Allah aswala'im, but we are not going to practice that. We are going to establish Masadis and Jumu'ah in the areas where we are. And they did that, and alhamdulillah, uh, our masajid overflowed with, uh, with worshippers every Friday, alhamdulillah. And it pains hard to see that it's not happening right now. But there, there comes a time when the faqir, uh, the fuqaha of the time, the Ulama, the muftis of the time, have to think in broader terms than just the specifics of what do we do in a case of coronavirus. Coronavirus is not mentioned to that extent in the Khitars, or the specifics are not outlined in that, uh, to that extent. Then we just take what the fuqaha never said about it. We have to look at it closely. Post-
0: you are listening to a special broadcast uh, coordinated by the United Ulema Council of South Africa. The uh, topic is why are our masjid in lockdown? Uh, we are coming to you live on Radio Islam International, uh, CII, Salam Media, Voice of the Cape, uh, Radio Ansar as well as IFM. Doctor if I can come back to you. Some some Muslims have been asking that you know by by, by being so proactive in suspending congregational prayer in the masajid, by being so emphatic. Uh, 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 putting so much of emphasis on it are we not then you know inadvertently suggesting that the muslims are not hygienic and that masjids are, are, are you know very prone to be areas from which the disease can spread and they they argue that look muslims are the most hygienic of people we wash our hands repeatedly even when there's no virus we make wudu that many times a day uh, our our masajid are the places where uh, where we perform salah so it, it's generally kept very pure and 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 very clean and even if in a lockdown the masajid have to be re- opened, we, we can regulate or we can mitigate the risk by the usage of, of masks, etc. So what is it about Corona-19 and, and the risks that, that, in your opinion, makes it necessary to subject the massage to such uh, strict uh, regula- regulations?
2: Yes, thank you that question. You know, I think that um, and, and, and there are a few very uh, concrete points that we need to consider when we, we talk about uh, coronavirus in, in our context. And I think um, before I get onto that specific, I think it's really necessary to highlight that when we engage the ulama at different levels in different parts of the country and, and several experts they have consulted, I, I want the listeners to to just realize that the issue before the difficult decisions were taken were debated extensively. and even though you know it is it's a void for us as ordinary muslims if i may say that to not have jumu'ah it's really a void uh, for us just reflect for a minute how much of a void it must be for our ulama hmm. because that's you know they are the every single what uh, every juma subhanallah and we must that I just realized they missed that much, much more. Um, And it was funny, just as an individual, the moment the lockdown was imminent for me, all of a sudden, uh, I was running to the mosque more often because I realized that soon the mosque would be closed and then I would miss the mosque. Um, so I think these are just some human elements to, yeah. to, to to the situation. In terms of the masajid specifically, what, what are the risks? And actually are, there's, there's a long list of them, I'm just going to summarize three or four. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, when we look at these risks, we are not talking theoretically, because we have seen situations in, uh, as far as South Korea, Malaysia, where the congregation. Um, And in fact, uh, right on our doorstep in a free state where a religious gathering has been the mechanism of rapid spread. Um, And so what specifically about the mosque uh, poses a threat is you often have people coming together in a relatively small space, Uh, not all the masajid are very big. Um, generally, people stand very close um, and then disperse back to their community. Often, if you look at Juma as a very classical example, people that come for the Juma Salah do not only come from that community, they work there, etc. It would be nearly impossible if there was an outbreak, as we are seeing from the incident in Malaysia,
3: hmm.
2: where not only did people dispersed to other parts of the country, they dispersed to other countries. The contact tracing for, for that particular event is nearly impossible. Because people disperse so widely. Secondly, um, you know, I think I think we all may have had that experience just doing our, our grocery shopping for the essentials that uh, somebody sneezes or somebody coughs and we all turn around and we move and we, you know, hypersensitive to to that particular situation. We are now starting to learn, and this is a disclaimer, uh, I'm not an expert on this, but around the world, all of us are starting to learn more and more about the disease. We are starting to learn that there is also transmission before people start sneezing and coughing and becoming symptomatic. The implication thereof, we do not know, it doesn't seem to be that the major source or mode of transmission, but if indeed that is happening, then when you go to the masajid and two days later you find out that you have the coronavirus, it could be that you may have spread that virus already. Uh, the third point to, to note is often, um, and, and maybe this is a neglect on, on the part of us, uh, the, the younger generation, but often the masajid are sold with elderly people mm-hmm. who are at special uh, additional risk. The mortality and severe disease that we see in the mortality uh, in the elderly is almost 10 times more than we see in, in young children. Um, then in terms of the, the, uh, the, the... We can take, you know, there the are measures that one could take to reduce the risk in the massaging. But it's not only about the individual being clean. There are surfaces in the massage that we don't have an option of, of whether or not to come into contact with. For example, the mat, uh, the caps for the wudu, for, for all of those things. And I think that, you know, it. it's at at a time like this that the the, the medical fraternity and the ulama work together and we have come up with a united position uh, respecting that the ulama have taken all of these considerations into account mm-hmm. and then it more of a risk at this particular point in time. May Allah make it pass quickly.
0: If, if i can just interject there very quickly dr samir you know uh, if if there's a masjid like this is not going to work in the informal areas they don't have the funds the finance but if there's a masjid in an upper class area that says we've got the money to sanitize the entire masjid after every salah to give everyone a mask to give everyone gloves we should be allowed to open during the lockdown what would your medical opinion be there, there is well firstly i think we
2: should just consider the law hmm. but i think in, I, I and i can cannot comment on the, the 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 sharia perspective but even with all of those measures there is still the risk that individuals will come into contact with each other um we have seen and and actually very tangibly i'm working with the department of health uh um in the western cape and we are trying to limit people's exposure to each other, coming to collect medications in health facilities. Mm. This is essential, life-saving medication. And we are struggling to be able to control that as health professionals, as health managers, as public health specialists, even with all of the measures that you have described. So I think to to want to to try and do that uh, and disregard um The thought processes that the ulama have undertaken uh, and the law at this point is the wrong thing. And I also think um, one really important point to drive home is the actions we are seeing this globally. If you look at 20 or 30 countries, the actions taken early on in the epidemic have a much bigger impact on what the curve looks like later on in the epidemic. All right. Uh, Yes. Yes. Is that
1: Malta? Yeah. Yeah, okay, very quickly. I just wanted to add uh, to that same uh, uh, discussion there. Hmm. You know, there appears to be the understanding that Masajid, for some reason, either on account of our behavior, supposed behavior, or on account of the sanctity uh, of the space that is a Masjid, that we are exempt, somehow or the other, either physically or metaphysically. Uh, the, the, you know, evil doesn't happen in the masjid. Uh, viruses do not uh, take root in the masjid. And I think there's been something of this nature-making is found on on, on on social media very recently as well. I think we must understand that whatever happens can happen outside of the masjid can happen on the inside. There is no guarantee from Allah and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that this will not happen. If, if, if coronavirus is a physical thing, consider the fact that Omar uh, anhu uh, and uh, Ali Both of them were murdered inside of the masjid, in the mihrab. they were murdered. Physical harm, physical evil happened inside the masjid. If you consider metaphysical, existing metaphysical, then consider the fact that the jinn, the evil jinn, that tried to attack Rasulullah sallallahu (laughs) alayhi wa sallam. So in the masjid, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam caught hold of him and would then tied him to the pillar of the masjid and showed the sahaba, look, this is the jinn that tried to attack me. Uh, he didn't do so for reasons mentioned in the hadith. So whether it's physical, whether it's, it, is, it is metaphysical, evil is, it is quite possible to happen inside of the magic. So if the coronavirus is a physical thing, it can take root in the magic as much as we haven't been able to even cleanse our massage from athlete's foot. Yeah. This one is you know, a, a, a thousand times more, uh, not necessarily lethal, but contagious than that. And physical harm can happen in the masjid as well. We should not at a time such as this labor under this kind of assumptions. This kind of assumptions will, will prove lethal in
0: the long run. Moabam, we know that there has been a call on social media uh, and a petition during the rounds that uh, government should be engaged to open the Masajid, even during the period of lockdown. Uh, What is Jusa's position about uh, the call to have the Masajid reopened during the lockdown? And if you're not in favour of it, uh, would you leave the space for those who want to exercise their constitutional rights and engage government in this regard? Uh, Or would you oppose it? And, And if so, why?
1: First, first, before I just go on, well, I to hmm. add on to what Molata had said, of course he is much more academically expert than what I am, uh, but you know the aspect of, he gave so many beautiful examples of the masjids being closed in the various phases of Islamic history and for people to say that that was only because of circumstances and not for ulama to be able to tell people I, in a similar manner is there any type of specific reference that the ulama told people go to the masjid irrespective of the plagues that are taking place would any alim tell someone for example in cape, cape town where there are a lot of gang warfare and is a gang war uh, taking place right outside the masjid and tell someone the masjid in jama'at is so important go there even if there is a gang war that is taking place outside the masjid i think i think that particular aspect and that question that has been phrased just as monana has given Examples in history that the matches were closed, hmm. and that is a reality, and we have to take into account that particular reality. Reality, and I think also the other point, you know, the the people have said whatever the epidemiological function is near to the exponential function. It means that every doubling that happens in the in terms of cases. Uh, the previous infections combined, whatever doubling that takes place in terms of infection, uh, that means if the hospital is full, and that is a great concern, and that is the reason why people have put into place these types of restrictions, you will need another hospital slightly bigger to cope with the new infections. Mm -hmm. And another point that we have to keep in mind is, in risk assessments, is it better to overreact or underreact? We all know with regard to the medical fraternity, whenever a person comes in with a, a situation, they normally always overreact and underreact and that is perhaps better in terms of a risk assessment now coming back to the question that we have posed i think a very important point here and let me go back to speak about one of our great scholars Hazrat Maulana Hussein Ahmad Madnir Rahm Maulana many many years back had made you know a prediction which today is coming true he said a time will come when nations will be based on territorial boundaries and not on the basis of religious affiliation and he not only said that he acted upon it when he came back from Malta at that time there the Muslim and Hindus got together to make a statement against British rule and there was a non-cooperation movement the non-cooperation movement was essentially started off by the Hindus of India Molana not only told the muslim to participate in it he wrote articles and he called upon the muslims to participate in the non cooperation movement even if it was called by people who are not muslims and if you look at that particular mindset of Hazrat Molana what did he say that we are one state we are we are bound together by the by the state that we are living in. Now, in that particular situation, if we are bound by the state that we are living in, we are going to be part and parcel of it. We rise together, we fall together. It is impossible for you to say, I'm going to be in, in, in health and I'm going to be safe because I'm a Muslim, irrespective of the health risk that is posed by people of other faith, or even vice versa. We are part of one state, we are one people, we are one nation. In terms of our religious affiliation, we will guard that religiously and with great steadfastness and what determination. But as far as being part of a state, we are part of one state. Mm-hmm. It's impossible for you to ask for an exemption, we believe, to ask for an exemption away from the people of the country. Now, I think people need to ask, question this very, very carefully and look at the results. What has been the position of many countries in the world, and I'm quite surprised that ulama know about this, They've read about it, they've seen it, they've read about it in the media. What happens with regard to situations where Muslims are marginalized in other countries? We take it as one of the great favors upon us here that, alhamdulillah, we have religious freedom. We are not looked upon as a third force. We are not looked upon differently with regard to other South Africans. Coin has those countries where Muslims are regarded to be a third force. Coin has those countries where they are looked upon as a fifth column. Coin has those countries where they are marginalized. And then every act of yours is scrutinized and it is highlighted in the media. So when we are part and parcel of this country and we are part of a nationhood of people who are in South Africa, if someone within the, con- uh, the, 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 the community does something that he feels it in his in his view in his suggestion that it is something that is beneficial for the country or beneficial maybe not for the country but for the community but if other people feel that this is harmful for the muslim community given the situation in south africa just as those people have a right to go and petition the authorities or the court we or other people also have the right to petition the court and to petition the authorities if they feel that that particular code of action is harmful for the country and harmful for the community and the Muslim ummah.
0: Mu'ataha, in terms of the way forward, right? the president is uh, about to address the nation later today. The lockdown uh, was formally announced up to the, to the 17th of April. Now, the MJC took the position of calling for the suspension of congregational prayers or the so-called closure of masajid even before the lockdown, even at the time when uh, the government was permitting up to 100 people to congregate. Would you still then uh, issue that same guideline to, to, to your co- community post the lockdown period that uh, keep, the, keep the masajid Closed, Even if government goes back to that original position and allows for 50 or 100 or a limited number of people to, to congregate. And then what about the month of Ramadan? Will, will there be a special consideration uh, given to, to that season in the Islamic calendar?
1: Yeah, unlike what is uh, uh, sometimes assumed in some quarters, no, we do not hate the masajid. We are not masjid haters. Uh, We love our masajid as much as everyone else does. But that's a side remark. Come back to the question. Um, You know, the reality of this situation has been that uh, ground realities were changing not by the week, not by the day, by the hour. And we were forced. To align with the changes that happened, as they happened. So uh, we've gone into a hibernation, so to say, for, for a while. And uh, we come coming to the end of that period, inshallah, within a week and a half time. Um, we know what we've learned from this year, what we've learned thus far is that it is unwise uh, 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 to make decisions and to take directions long before the time.
3: Mm.
1: Uh, we have to take those decisions uh, when we have the situation in front of us with the advice of both our legal fraternity and most certainly our medical fraternity. Uh, what government says, what the doctors say, all of this will be considered when you take the decision. Uh, we've learned the lesson not to jump to conclusions too quickly and not to give directions before we are sure. Uh, of where we stand on the matter. So uh, we will wait for the President to on the matter. Um, and then we will be, and we have remained in consultation, in fact, with our medical brothers. Um, so when the time comes, we will make the call accordingly. Uh, we are not willing at this moment in time uh, to make a call uh, because, uh, you know, uh, there are a number of things underway at this moment. Mm-hmm. When the broad-based uh, 10,000 uh, testing posts are going about, we will start seeing probably new that might force a a, a rethinking of position, or we might actually find that the lockdown has helped to such an extent uh, that we can actually relax. But believe it, um our hearts are pining for the masajid as much as anyone else's heart is pining for the masajid and you know we do contemplate in our minds that this thing might impact upon our ramadan in a major way and we shudder to think of it we shudder to think of a ramadan without tarawih and the masajid we shudder to think of a day of eid without us being able to be there beside the takbir at that time um but we have to keep all options open at this moment in time um because, as I say, ground realities will be changing as we go about. Either for the better or for the worse. We ask Allah, Allah that it be for the better and not Amen. for the worse that will allow us to make a decision in the best interest of our community and the best interest of our religious practice. I just want to very, very quickly, I don't think we have time, yeah. but uh, I just want to go back to the question which I'm to answer. Uh, yeah. You know, the idea that a group of people are asking for exemption. Right now, whether the group of people be Muslims, Christians, Russians, Jews, atheists, Satanists, whoever they might happen to be, the fact that the my is that any type of con- uh, congregation, any type of congregation, any exemption given in this regard to anyone, even the fact that necessary exemptions had to be provided for taxis and the like, and for supermarkets, uh, the fact that the legal exemption has been granted does not mean that risk is negated. If a taxi has been allowed to go about in a particular way, it doesn't mean there is no risk with the taxi. There is no risk out there. So, um, and, uh, a particular group of people, a particular number of massages might be asking for exemption, and the rest of us, the 90% of uh, 95 or 99% of massages might not be asking for that, that exemption, but the massages which do uh, may not happen but if any group of massaji do get that uh, exemption they become a risk to the rest of us this virus doesn't ask where it should spread from it's not going to say the masjid of town x will be the one that will spread from the town y it will not spread from it doesn't ask who's more pious and who is not it doesn't ask who's a fan who's a fan it doesn't ask who's a muslim and who's not hmm. so um although it might be seen from a purely legal angle that people have the right to petition the constitutional court or the president or the minister uh, for exemption. Um, it affects the rest of us all the same. Yeah. I just want to very quickly give a comparison. Hmm. You know, uh, for the past 25 years, 25 years or so, we've had um, Muslim personal law, an application for Muslim personal law. Uh, this goes back to, what I say, 1994, 95 somewhere around there, and eventually it ground to halt because there were some sectors of our community that felt that this is not in the best interest of the Muslim community, and they petitioned against it despite the fact that there were some who wanted it and some who did not want it. So, and that time if that party would have been told that look you speak for yourself and must speak for ourselves they wouldn't have accepted it the nation parties today think we are speaking for ourselves you stay out of this uh, and in this case here yeah. This one, the, the the harm that it holds for all of us, not just Muslims, for all South Africans, all world citizens, is more than clear for
0: anyone else, for anyone to see. We are out of time, but I'm just going to take a few more minutes because there's one, one, one more important issue that we need to get our panelists to comment on, and I'm hoping all the stations taking the simulcast will be able to oblige. Mabam, there's been a lot of uh, complaints, you know, cries of disappointment, and and I, I, let me say even cries of disgust from Muslims about how this this discussion and debate is degenerated uh, amongst uh, the scholars the, the the name calling uh and and, 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 and the slandering uh way, way too from here i mean each person can say well it's it's their fault or they calling me i'm not calling them uh, ca- can we still salvage the situation can we come across a little bit more respectable to our own community and to the bro- to the broader country Yes, I think,
1: uh, again, I just want to comment one more yeah. time with regard to what Mu'ataha said about, you know, we all we all pining. When I went to make the announcement in the masjid with whom I am, alhamdulillah, and may Allah keep me that way, attached for many, many years, you know, when we made the announcement, the musallis and the person making the announcement was sobbing. It wasn't as if, you know, something that was taken lightly, and also the aspect, you know, someone asked me for a specific type of uh, whether they should be part of you know, this whole particular proceeding. and I, I responded, and I said one of the things was, and I think I just want to concur with what had said, that uh, we don't know what's going to happen after the lockdown. Of course, the lockdown is supposed to be till the 16th. So let's wait till then and see what happens, and then, of course, if, what is it, if when we'll reassess during the announcement with regard to the Jamiatul ulama when it spoke about the aspect of suspension and calling people not to go to the masjid and not to co- congregate, we also made mention that we will see the situation and we will also monitor the situation to be able to advise further. Mm-hmm. Now on your position, I mean, there's no doubt whatsoever. The way things are going out on social media, and what I would request to all the listeners and everyone, you know, it doesn't mean that if someone has said it is necessary for you to go and be part of the whole situation by forwarding it. I just to say two three things with regard to branding and people calling you know people's names and calling them different types of uh you know whatever they want to call and whatever types of branding and whatever type of degrading uh type of things that are there i look at it you know three three things i would like to say in this first of all it is based on the assumption those people who are making this calling other people's names are based on the assumption that we are better and more holier and more pious than you and therefore we are the pious we are, the Ahle Haq, we are like this and you are like that and whatever it is. So like Allah says in the Holy Quran, Who Ahlamu bikum arz, antuma Allah knows you before you were, knows you, you were conceived. Allah knows you when you were conceived. Allah knows you when you were after conception in the womb of your mothers. Allah knows you, Don't scream on the rooftops that you are more pious than other, other people. Don't praise yourself. He knows who is pious and who is more pious is in the hands of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second thing is yeah. with regard to Imam Sufyan al-Thori he said a very amazing thing. And many a times it gives a lot of people a great amount of solace and comfort. Imam Sufyan al-Thori said, I prefer Allah ta'ala judging me on the day of Qiyamah than even my own parents. Thanks to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah has not kept the judging of people's iman in the hands of people. Allah has kept it to himself. Not only to himself, Imam Sufyan Surah said, I would prefer Allah making my judgment than even my parents making my judgment. So thanks to this whole particular aspect that the judging of people's character, conduct, Iman is not in the hands of people. It's in the hands of Almighty Allah Taala. Thirdly, I would like to say is that, you know, normally, uh, and this is obviously said and we need to put an end to it, that, you no, know, by all means, uh, go and debate the issues at hand. But uh, ridiculing, in my my opinion, is a sign of desperation and frustration. When you cannot argue with people, and you cannot win the argument, and you cannot get across to people, then you resort to these type of things. And you resort to ridiculing. So ridiculing is a sign of desperation, is a sign of frustration, is a sign that you cannot get through to people.
0: Moata, if I can ask you also on a similar note, you know, in terms of your concluding remarks uh, yesterday, many people were, were voicing their, their concern uh, it seems like this difference of opinion all over the show, some doctors coming out and disagreeing with, with formations like the IMA, some lawyers uh, you know, coming out and saying no people should be allowed to exercise their constitutional rights and challenge government in court if they so choose uh, some scholars coming out and arguing that seniority does not lie with these uh, ulama formations that are uh, that are making the decision seniority lies elsewhere, and and this is the list of, of seniority. It, it seems to have degenerated into mudslinging, uh, and 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 uh, you know, uh, it's, it's resulted in a much much of a confusing state for for the uh, um, for for the messes. You know, the the, the hearing on the one hand that uh, you know masajid should remain closed for the preservation of life. The hearing on the other hand that no masajid should be remain open to draw the help of Allah. Then there is the counter argument that those who are calling for the masajid to be open should be sinful. Others say you can't classify them as sinful. How does an average lay person, you know, navigate through all of this? Um, yeah, as horrible. as the situation is. Uh, there is something very important
1: on this. Area. The unama hold the Trump card. They hold the Trump card. And what Trump card is that the fact that people have different doesn't come from uh, today's People have differed from the time of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa already. There will always be differences of opinion. Um, the, 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 the question is, how do we negotiate those differences of opinion? Do we treat it as a manner of saying, look, I've done the best that I can, you've done the best that you can. Now something is going to happen, someone's opinion will be the one upon which practice will be, however, I maintain full respect for the position of the opposition, the position of those at the me. That is the aspect that is missing here. It's impossible to expect consensus in a case such as this here, where there's such a lot of divergent opinions on either side. Uh, but is it? Uh, uh, um, Is there any uh, hope for a respectable uh, divergence of opinion here? We know that there are certain sectors of the community for whom every difference of opinion is a matter of iman and kopar. And then we know that there are people, and, and among them, our most severe seniors. They will differ but they won't ever differ with much thinking. And they do not for a moment tolerate the type of much thinking that is happening right now. So I think that that particular sector of our community, people who might not hold the same opinion as I do or someone else does, but uh, they should at this moment uh, step in and say that, look, I differ with so-and-so. My opinion is this. His opinion is that, however, you will not lose respect for any harm at the time such as You will not lose. Uh, you know, the times in which we are trying very hard. What we should be trying very hard, aside from everything else, aside from social distancing, aside from uh, trying to look for a cure, aside from uh, trying to look for a vaccine, all of those things I'm and even aside from. Uh, 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 you know, committing ourselves to the ibadah of Allah at a time such as making tawbah, staying away from haram, all of those things. I've seen some wonderful and beautiful advices of the ulama coming out, and all of them are spot on. But the one aspect which is not there, the one key aspect which will keep Allah at bay at a time such as this, we can make the Hajj the entire night, we can stay away from all haram for all time to come, we can continue, we can adopt the hijab and adopt the the, the sunnah and in everything. But the one aspect which will keep Allah Taala's away from us is a bickering and a quarreling and arguing among the ulamas the So together yeah. with all those beautiful devices, we have to, from both sides, have to step forward and say, I differ with learn but this is not a time for quarreling and bickering. This is a time for us to extend, uh, uh, you know, a one, assuming that the other person has the best of intentions at heart, and not doing the the, the opposite side, which is what, which is sh- shaitan induced. We, uh, we tell yourself and you tell your followers that that's Person on the other side is an evil person motivated by evil desires. That is inspired by Shaitan. So we expect at a time such as this that uh, our ulama, especially with seen as amongst them, no matter which side they belong to, no matter which position, uh, position they are taken, but they should instill this one important adab within people. One, one important adab to say that the person who I differ with still remains a person of integrity. If we have lost the, if we have lost the ability to see that there is integrity on the other side, then I fear that Rahma Allah will not come down at all.
0: Finally, Doctor Bray, a quick concluding remark from you. Yeah. No, I just want to add to to what Mr. as has just
2: said, and you know, um, it has actually been uh, very concerning that many people have a, a, approached the experts and the doctors in the field to say the thing is not real. I want to say a very, send a very clear message. We have been in touch with colleagues in the United States and the United Kingdom with tears in their eyes while saying to us, brothers and sisters, this is very real. You have a choice now to do what is in your control. So while many people are saying the taxes and the supermarkets and all of this, I would say let us reserve judgment. The people queuing in the supermarkets often don't have enough money to stockpile like many of the others. So let us do our bit and be responsible. If as a Muslim ummah across the globe who represent 20% of the world's population, we do the right thing, inshallah we can be remembered as that part of the population who took the... Difficult but responsible decisions at a point in time that made a difference and helped eradicate this virus with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's rahmah. And I, I just want to end on that note to appeal to everyone to take the individual action to do the right thing despite the difficulties, despite the hardships. Um, and
0: and, and uh, the best thing we could do as a community is unite to Do the right thing, inshallah. Inshallah. My Ibrahim Baam, my Quran, and Dr. Samir Bray, uh, we thank all three of you for your time this morning. May Allah ta'ala make it easy, may Allah guide our leaders, and may Allah release us from the clutches of this virus sooner rather than later, inshallah. Amen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And to all the listeners of Radio Islam International, uh, CII, Salaam Media, Voice of the Cape, Radio Ansar and IFM, shukran for listening to this special program put together by the United Ulama Council of South Africa on the topic of why
3: are our masajid in lockdown. From myself, Suleiman Ravid, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.